You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. Hey guys, welcome to the show. What's going on, buddy? How we doing, my friend? Good. Got myself and Micah here today. Well, we actually got Andy here too. He's just not on mic. <laughs> Andy is here. He is sitting right over there. Um, he had some house issues before we recorded this ep- episode, so he uh, was about. He walked in with about three minutes left. Yeah, it was it yeah. was pretty solid effort. Yeah, uh, but we got another one, so he's yeah. We're trying to cram a few in so we can actually you know go on our trip and not have to worry about nothing for a few weeks. Yeah, when you don't have service, it's hard to download episodes. Exactly. Um. So today's show is a pretty long show, so we might yeah. let's just get into this. Um, we actually have Tony Peterson on with Wired to Hunt. Yep. Tony is a co-host at Wired to Hunt uh, yeah, podcast. The, He's actually got his own little mini series, I guess you'd call it, in there. Um, I, put, I knew the name of it, and it just slipped my mind. Sorry, Tony. <laughs> but um, they push out a lot of good content. So, and I'm sure if you guys have heard of us, you've definitely heard of them. So, you know, they're they're kind of a juggernaut in the deer hunting podcast world. So, you just use the word juggernaut. I did. I've been thinking about that. I'm like, I like that word. You're smart. So. <laughs> smart. Uh, yeah, so today's show with Tony is we're going to basically be talking about early season tactics. Mm-hmm. I mean, be prepared for some big rabbit holes. Yeah, give it give it about twenty minutes because we <laughs> we start off with a you know. I'm blaming <laughs> that all on Tony. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I'm just kidding, but um, we talk about early season tactics. What he does, uh-huh. uh, he hunts mostly public land in Minnesota. Uh, so he he talks about what he does and how you know maybe you can use it here in Missouri. And when he you're hunting, and he likes to get it done real early. Like, like he expects weekend. to be. In, yeah, I'm yeah. like, damn, dude. Like, that's much faster than I can do it. I can promise. Yeah, I probably won't even hunt opening weekend or whenever it is. What day is September fifteenth actually following this I'm year? I'm not even sure. Because no. when we release this show, it'll be pretty damn close to that day. Yeah, I'm not even sure. I haven't even looked. Anyway, all right. Before we get into today's show. Let's drop our sponsor for today's show, Cutty Back Digital, mm-hmm. makers of the Cutty Link system. Check them out at CuttyBackDigital.com. If you feel like uh, purchasing some stuff, you know, it's not too late, I guess. Use the code MOWW21, I think, for no, 10% think off right. your purchase. Yep. And, um, you know, check them out. They're good stuff. It's not the cheapest camera in the world, but. We're I'm really, really enjoy- happy with it. Yeah, we're really enjoying them. So, all right, let's uh, get into today's show. This is the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast.
Okay, with us tonight, Tony Peterson with Wired to Hunt. How are you doing, Tony? I'm doing good, buddy. How are you guys doing? Excellent. Can't complain. Well, I can complain about the heat right now. It's hot as heck outside. So Where we are. Yeah. Tony's in Minnesota, so he might be yeah. a little better off than we are. But I think it got up to 97 today, 98, somewhere around there. So, Man, we didn't get that hot today, but we were pretty hot. <laughs> and, and so freaking humid yep. today. Yep. Yeah. Just gross. In general, I'm in a pretty good mood because we are a week today. We're recording this show on August 24th. It's not going to release for a few weeks. But the reason we're recording this a few weeks early is because a week from today, we are leaving yep. for our elk trip. Yeah, we're heading west. And uh, so I'm in a good mood, although I am not even close to packed. And all my stuff is sitting in my office right now, which is why we moved out into my living room. And uh, But I'm excited. Are you going to Colorado? Yep. And we're stuck back in OTC uh, archery units just because we did a pretty poor job of planning when we first started hunting. And so now we're kind of chasing points, and we didn't get drawn for anything this year. Um, I take that back. Yeah, two two of our guys that we normally go with, they actually drew New Mexico. So they're going to be dropping down into New Mexico and trying that out this year. First so. year they ever put in for it. Yeah. Got it. They got lucky. Uh, New, New Mexico surprised a few people. My hunting partner drew an amazing tag there and kind of blew up our, our elk hunt this year. But it's, yeah. it's a good way to have one go south. Uh, have you have you guys ever hunted elk out there in Colorado? Yeah, this is uh, let's see, this is my your fifth year, and my fourth year. There you go. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm bad yeah, at counting. Yeah. So, so you know what you're getting into. I mean, unfortunately, yes. And, and <laughs> it's funny because I heard you talking about uh, the experience earlier today. I was listening to one of your shows on the way home. I don't remember which one it was. I think it was Zach Farinbaugh's show recently, and uh, you were talking about elk hunting just a bit. And you're right. It's about that first experience, especially when you don't know what to expect. Now I'm to the point where I'm tired of seeing them. They're beautiful, and I love seeing them. Now one needs to die. <laughs> we need to kill one. <laughs> you know, I've, we've, yeah. we've both been close several times, and it just hasn't worked out. Um, and it's funny because, yeah, there's no passing on anything legal this year. The first legal yeah. elk that walks in front of me is going to eat an arrow. So, yeah, um, which, which is funny because the – the first year I went, it was one of those things where it was, well, maybe I'll pass on a, you know, a smaller bull or, or a cow the first day. Yeah, no, no, that's not happening <laughs> anymore. No. So it's just no. funny you said that in the show I was listening to today. Yeah, I don't, you know, if you're from the Midwest or the East and you're heading West for anything, you know, unless you're doing some something where the expectation is that you could run into some big animals it does not it's not a good idea to set high standards you know and when, and then when you're talking over-the-counter elk in colorado yeah man I, i've talked to so many people who are heading out there on their first trip and they're like you know the first 280 gets in there i'm like are you kidding me <laughs> like <laughs> the, you, you know like you uh, you're hunting unicorns there man like it is not it is not easy to get an elk, especially if you've got, you know, six, seven, eight days to hunt. Right. To get an elk in front of you in a situation where you get a good shot. It is not easy. No, no. And we've, we, uh, and I think the reason why we did a poor job with the points is my, my first few years and Micah's first, at least, we really got into elk. I mean, my first year, um, I should have killed one. Um, my brother-in-law did shoot one, although we ended up not recovering him, unfortunately. Um, 
My second year, I should have killed one. My brother-in-law did kill one. My third year, we got an elk on the ground. So, like, we had a really good start, and the last two years have been almost bone dry. So, yeah, it's just and then hunters all over the place. So it's been more difficult for sure. Are you usually hunting the the early part of the season then? Yeah, yeah. We 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 go to the opener. So we're the yeah. I th- it opens up on Thursday. We'll be on the mountain on Thursday. Yeah. So. so my that's what I did my first couple trips out there. And I kind of had the same thing. Like the first year, man, I was, I didn't kill one, but I was covered in them. And then the second year, it was just brutal. Couldn't find one, couldn't hear one, couldn't see one. So I said, I'm not going opener again. You know, I mean, it's kind of the the elk thing is like really exaggerated in some ways, like compared to the average whitetail hunt, but the amount of people heading out early and scouting before the opener, it's kind of like elk hunting reminds me of some of these states that have a velvet hunt, you know, like a September right. one opener, right? Where you just get those people out there who've already pressured those animals for four or five days before the season even opens. And you just, you open at such a disadvantage already. And so the last time I went, I said, I told my buddy, I'm like, I'm going late. I'm going to just, I'm skip hunting at home and I'm going to go just try the last part where I know it's going to be cold. There'll probably be fewer people out. And it was as far as like elk talking and just like responding to our calling. I mean, I killed a bull. Like it was, it was so much more fun. <laughs> and I, I don't know, you know, we had days where we didn't see or hear anything. Like it was, I'm not, you know, it wasn't candy store hunting. Right. But when we, when they were going, they were going. And like it, it felt like they were just like callable. You know, it wasn't like, oh, you got one that's bugling and you might get him to move over. It's like when, when you got one, like when you were kind of in that red zone, it was like, we're going to get that sucker in. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we don't get is like, we don't, I'm sure you're familiar with born and raised and watching, you know, all those guys, you know, Dirk and, you know, Elk 101 and all those guys, they get to talk back and forth. There's none of that when we're, where we are. Number one, they're highly pressured elk. So they might be quiet in general anyways. And then number two, they're not rutting yet. So, you know, have we heard a bugle before? Sure. Maybe, two in my five years and that might have not even been an elk i mean you never know and so yeah. it's it's just like you're chasing ghosts um so not but, while it's still fun it's definitely de- harder on ourselves yeah but the, the people that we go with they're farmers and stuff so that's kind of why we have to go early because they have to get back to get ready for harvest and stuff like that I so eventually it. we probably will you know try to do some later right. season stuff but just right now we're dealing with the cards we're dealt yeah. so and i mean we have yeah, a good I mean, time it's always a good time so yeah yeah i mean you, you, you well do whatever you got to do i i just i always look at it especially after my last trip i'm like man it would be like going on a uh whitetail rut hunt and you're like i'm going on october 24th <laughs> you know where you're like <laughs> right before could, yeah like it could be going on but you know if you went like november 10th like there's no question right Hot, cold windy what it like it's gonna happen and it's you know i mean it, the, the the last place i hunted there where i killed my bull there was a ton of pressure in there but we've there were pockets of them that were just going and so it was like you, you just even on the days where you didn't have anything going on you're still like it just feels like the weather felt right. Like it could bust open at any time, you know? Yeah. And you have, you have dead days, but I didn't have, we didn't have like six dead days. Like I've had in the early part where you're just like, man, it feels like, like you said, you're just hunting go so hard. Yeah. Yeah. And 
we've definitely talked about, you know, going back maybe a week further and stuff like that. And I'm sure we will at some point. It's just uh, we've just put ourselves a little bit behind the eight ball on options these next yeah. few years. Now we started buying points quickly in many states, but it's going to be a minute before we're able to go. It's just, uh, you know, one of them deals. But I'll tell you what, I think we might have bro- broke a record because we went into a rabbit hole not 30 seconds into the start <laughs> of this show. Yeah. <laughs> this show is not about It, oak, was, it was supposed to be about Whitetail. But, you uh, know, you and we haven't something. even really, like, got to ha- – I don't know, he hasn't even introduced yeah. himself, honestly. <laughs> so let's let's start that. <laughs> Tony, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us what you do with Wired to Hunt. Um, what you do, and then uh, since you're not from Missouri, why don't you talk about maybe your favorite thing about the outdoors, and then we'll just kind of get into uh, our topic today. Man, I don't even know where to start there, guys. So yeah, currently, I I work for Wired to Hunt and Meat Eater, you know, creating, you know, write articles. Uh, we, we got a lot of YouTube how-to type stuff up there, the podcasts, mm-hmm. doing all kinds of stuff with them. Uh, but I, you know, I guess... You- it's say I, I'm kind of be like a writer. I used to just be a magazine writer and that, you know, that's gone. I mean, to a large extent. And so now I, I hate this term, but I, I, I kind of am just a content creator. Like you make podcasts, you make videos, you make, you write articles. And uh, that's kind of what I do, you know, and that's what I've done. Oh man. Probably since like 2009. So for and quite so, a while now. Yeah. What's that? For quite a while now. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I used to be uh, associate editor for Peterson's bow hunting. That's how I got into the hunting industry. And then I went freelance and, you know, for a long time, it was really good just writing articles for magazines. And that was, that was a nice gig. And then, you know, that was dying, uh, actually not even that slow of a death. And, you know, I mean, it's still hanging on a little bit, but it's just changed so much to the digital media and the podcast thing comes out. And so it's just, uh, whatever however you need to make stuff to teach people how to hunt and talk about hunting i'm kind of i'm kind of in the mix somewhere in there you know i get it so what's your favorite what would you say i mean what's your favorite thing about the outdoors in general (sighs) i'm assuming you've traveled quite a bit now in your in your career we'll say so you've seen a bunch of different places i mean is there there anything that sticks out in general about just how it's driven your love for the outdoors since you're still in this space? Man, I think that the thing that I love most about the outdoors is the unknown. I'm addicted to mystery, man. Like I, I'm the kind of person who, you know, if you put me on a smallmouth river and you're just like, just go fishing, you know, the sun will be setting and I'll look around. Like I'm like the little kid who with ADHD who chased the balloon down the alley. And all of a sudden he's seven miles away from his mom. Like I, I just want to keep going and see what's around the next bend and I just love, you know, like talking about elk hunting, like, man, is there anything cooler than walking into like, you know, getting out of camp and walking into the dark in the elk woods and just like, you don't know what's waiting for you. Oh, you, you know, like yeah. you, you just like, and when you, you know, it starts getting light out and you look up the ridge and you're like, man, if we get up there, we should be able to see a whole bunch. And you just, I just love, I love that all the way down to like, what's pulling the bobber down when I'm fishing with my girls, you know, like you don't know what's down there. And I just, I think that that's one of the things that I love the most about, and I know it's, I know in the whitetail world, that's kind of weird, right? Cause we kind of, there's, there's such a movement to sort of create these, these spots where deer come into, and it's like highly predictable and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I, that's, I don't operate that way. Like yeah. I love going into new places and, 
and just being like, I don't know what to expect here. And I'm just going to take in this sign and what I feel about this and just try to make something happen. And, you know, you flame out a lot, but yeah. that unknown is just, that's what keeps me going. Even in the whitetail world though. And I, I definitely get what you're saying, you know, cause like, I know most of the deer I'm after this year, I've run cameras and I've got private property that I'm currently hunting, but every year something new shows up at a certain time. And every time you see that Brown body, it's like, what is this? Is this, uh, you know, is this him? Is it not him? And the heart just starts fluttering, you know, every time you see something move in the woods and it's almost always a freaking squirrel, but, um, you know, you still have that flutter of heart and, and something different can happen. I mean, you know, how many times have you been out whitetail hunting and experienced something that had nothing to do with whitetail? That was just badass. Yep. You know, seeing a bobcat walk by with a squirrel in its mouth last year, I saw that. That was so cool. And, yep. um, you know, just different things like that, that you're not going to experience it on your couch watching it, something else. Yeah. I mean, just think about in your life how how little, I mean, how, how few possibilities you have to like truly be surprised. You know, I, I've been thinking about this. Like I'm kind of, I'm kind of notorious for not liking social media very much. I think it's, I, I, I honestly kind of think we're going to look back on social media in like 50 years, the way we look at smoking. Now we're going to be like, what the hell? Like, why, <laughs> what, what were you doing? We, <laughs> yeah. I cannot believe we let our kids do that. I can't believe we did that. You know, like I kind of think that's coming, but I, I realized something the other day. I was like, we're all doing the same stuff. Like it's all the same pictures of your dogs and pictures of you shooting the bow and the target and like in our space, you know, holding up the small mouth. I'm like, there's nothing original about this. Like there's nothing surprising when you scroll through there. You know what I mean? And then, like you said, you go into the woods and you don't actually know what's coming. Even in a place that you might have it set up and you're running a million cell cameras, like there's always that chance that just something weird happens or, you know, a hawk grabs something in front of you or that, that buck you've never seen in your life shows up in the far end of the field just gives you like a little glimpse and you're like man this this changes everything for me you yeah because i didn't see that coming yeah exactly yeah uh, and you know it's it's funny because now i'm not complaining but i am kind of bitching so you can take it for what it's worth there but i think most of our listeners know us pretty well and know that we love doing this but we're not so fond of social media we hate it <laughs> and i always said like that'll be the reason i quit this podcast way before the podcast itself will upset me. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying I don't love interacting with people, but I just hate typing and posting, <laughs> you know. And just dealing with it. Yeah, so it's just one of them deals where I wouldn't be upset if, you know, tomorrow they're like, hey, we're shutting it all down. You can just do the podcast. <laughs> so, uh, Man, I, I kind of – this. Hopefully no, nobody in an off, like a corner office that meat eater listens to this. Cause I like, I lay in bed at night sometimes and I'm like, God, I wish that YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all these companies would say no more hunting content. Just it's done. And it, it would, it would change how we do things so much. And I, you know, I realize that's like super selfish cause there are people making their living off of this stuff. Like I understand that. But I just, I look at this, I'm like, man, this does not feel good for us. Like, I, I don't, this does not give me the warm and fuzzies. No, and I, and overall, I definitely, you see a lot of garbage. But I'll tell you, there's times every once in a while where I'll, I'm like, I'm glad I saw that. You know, not a lot. Most of the time, like you said, it's just a photo and photos are cool, I guess. But, you know, there's nothing they're hurting most of the time. Then every once in a while, you'll come across something that is is pretty nifty and so i guess you know there's sometimes a small redeeming quality with it but 
Yeah, a lot of times it's just like, what the hell is a reel? I remember that when we found out yeah, what a reel was. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. So it's TikTok? So now we got to do this? <laughs> yeah. So it's TikTok? No. no, but it's on Instagram. So it's a TikTok gram? Yeah. <laughs> like, I could not figure out what the hell is this thing? <laughs> People are just laughing at us right now, I'm sure. Uh, all right. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, that's you can do pretty much anything. What we kind of wanted to talk to you today about was, you know, early season stuff. Um, you're from Minnesota, and, you know, we're obviously in Missouri. And like you and I, you and I talked a couple days ago on the phone, and I agree with you. Um, you'd said that Minnesota and Missouri are, are kind of similar states in the way that they're kind of hunted. Um, you know, we have, I, I think at least, I don't know, maybe you'll disagree with me, but Missouri, in my opinion, is a dark horse state it's it's uh got some really good deer in it and also quite a bit of hunters so that doesn't help it but you know um a real good state for whitetail and i think minnesota is probably the same way it's got good whitetail um you know just a lot of hunters as well and uh so we talk when we talk about early season tactics what you're gonna say is gonna apply for a bunch of our listeners here in missouri so yeah. Um, what is uh? We'll just kind of. I mean, just dive right into it. How do you approach what your season starts when in Minnesota? Uh, always the middle of September. Right? I think okay. it's the same weekend as Missouri. That's yeah. That's September fifteenth like, is always. ours is the fifteenth. I think theirs is the eighteenth. Now that we're yeah, our, ours will move. Ours will be anywhere from like the twelfth to the nineteenth. Okay. Depending okay. On but yeah, yeah, ours is always September fifteenth. Doesn't matter where it st- falls. So, um, or at least since I've been hunting, right. I know that. Yeah. So. Um, so really they, they pretty much start at the same time and then your rifle season starts a little earlier than ours around November 1st. Is that correct? Uh, first weekend of November. So it can be okay. usually anywhere from like the second through the ninth. So a little, so. little earlier than ours. Typically ours last year was in the uh, 13th or something like something that. Something like that. It's but, usually the second weekend. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, very similar States. Um, you're traditionally a bow hunter. Um, like we are, we, we prefer bow hunting. Um, so let's just kind of get into what are some of the things that you look at as the season's getting ready to go. And I'm assuming you have a plan in place and then you start working through that and try to get a lot of your work done by November, you know, whatever. That third, first weekend. Um, before yeah. all hell breaks loose like it does here. I really try to get all my work done by the end of the second day of the season, typically. Like I, 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 it's at least at home, I, this year's different. Cause I have to save my tag for a thing that we have to film, but every other year in Minnesota, I really want to be tagged out. I want my buck tag filled by Sunday night and it happens, I guess, probably like 60% of the time. I mean, there's time, you know, obviously there's just times where it just doesn't work, but it's, I, I try really hard to set myself up for that. And because of that, you know, I don't want to wait you know, you can't hear if you had a good private spot, you could, you could hunt through the gun season and, and bow hunt, but I don't have that. So when that gun season opens, whether it's on November 2nd, 4th, 5th, whatever, my, my season is like about to get real hard. <laughs> like, and I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't have a place where it's like, Oh, you're going to go sit on a cornfield and shoot a late season buck as he's recovering from the rut. Like that's not my world, man. Like I'm hunting public land or these, these chunks that get pounded, so I want to get it done right away. 
and it's just always it's kind of like a I mean, I don't know how much you want me to get into this, but I, it's like a a three-step process, kind of. Like I, you know, like when you when you start out in the the first weekend, everybody's sitting in field edges, right? Yeah. Like you, you're going to try to get that gimme on the the beans or whatever. But if you're hunting pressured spots, that's going to die within, you know, it might be three or four days, and that that kind of pattern is like, uh, you know, you could shoot a doe or maybe a scrapper, but like a big one, so. I have those set up and then I'll, I'll do a staging area thing where I'm like, where are those bucks going to go when that pressure gets to them? Yep. And so it's like, okay, okay, got that. Like you got level one out there, the easy, you might go kill a gimme, but if you don't, what are you going to do? Or if just the conditions just don't work for you, like, what are you going to back up to? So I'll, I'll go to a staging area type of thing. And then. So before you move to step two staging area, um, and since you said it's a three-step process, we'll go through it. But if you would have said four, that's too much. It's too much. <laughs> um, but okay. Well, the so, first step's pretty stupid. I'm sitting on a field edge, right? <laughs> but I mean, early season, you're definitely right. I mean, that's. But what are you doing? I mean, you know, if you're in it for a a, a, a doe or a, like you said something, even a mature deer, if he doesn't feel pressure at first, may step out. You know, on the right at yep. the right time. What are you using though? Are you using your experiences in the first few days? Or do you, you put yourself like a hard five days after the beginning of the season, no matter what I'm experiencing, I'm moving on to step two. No. You know, what, what it's, do you it's, use? It's all about what's, what you see, what you encounter. And it, it like, it's part what the deer tell you, right? I mean, if you're having a good hunts on field edges, like ride that sucker out, like ride it till you kill it. Right. Right. But if, you know, a lot of the places I hunt, I'm, I'm factoring that in, but really I'm factoring like, where are the trucks parked? Like how many people are coming in here or there or wherever. And I mean, it just, this, this is such a weird world, like speaking of social media. So in 2019, I had a, I had a buck in Minnesota that I was like, I've, I've been kind of like, I, I'm not a one buck hunter. Like I don't, that's not my style, but there was a buck living on this farm. I had permission to hunt. That was a toad. I mean, just like booner all day long, like something I've, I don't have an option at very often. And I set up for that deer like multiple different ways. I'm like, man, I got little ponds. I got staging area type of stuff. Like I, I really want to give him a shot before too many people get in there and opening morning. I went out, played it a little safe and had a guy come in and start cutting wood next to my stand. <laughs> oh, that was over. So I left and I was like, but I, I didn't go where that buck was because the wind wasn't right. So I was like, I was on, I was in his woods, but I was, I, I wasn't in the game. So I was like, you know, whatever that that happens. And then I saw a truck parked at another spot where I'm like, okay, that's creeping in on him. And then I was, I was staying with my buddy down where, down where I hunt, and he he showed me a uh, Facebook post of a guy who shot a bunch of squirrels on the property next to us, right bordering that valley that buck lived in. So I was like, okay, now, now I know they squirrel hunted it today. <laughs> You're and surrounded. So, so I'm like, okay, now it's opening night. And I know this spot screwed, this spot screwed, this spot screwed, this spot screwed. And I'm like, I got one backup field edge stand that I, I just like, maybe nobody went in there. And I knew there were good bucks in there. That buck wasn't, I was never going to run into him there, but there's other ones. And I thought this is this is my chance there because the way things are going by tomorrow, this will probably be done too. And so that was like I was on like my plan E at that point, and it was opening night. Right. And but I went in there, and last light, this buck came out. I killed a 143 inch eight pointer. Just followed the program, 
and he just hadn't been boogered yet. Like that, that was the night you were going to kill him. You know what I mean? And so sometimes like you get that, but really you're just factoring in like, what's, what's going on out there? What are the deer showing me? And what are the people showing me? Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. You, you start obviously where you can be, you know, non-intrusive as possible field edges. Um, you start seeing where they're not coming out when you need them to, or it's now it's just does. So you move into step two, which is kind of bedding or not bedding areas, staging, uh, areas. So really I'm guessing you're just looking for those, those areas that will hang them up or hold them up until, you know, it gets dark. Um, now I'm so I'm assuming you've done a lot of scouting prior to, or you've probably hunted this public land before and you know, some of those areas, um, I'm guessing the better you get to know a public land, you know, the more deadly you can get just like anywhere else you hunt. Um, so, I mean, kind of explain that. Is there, is there a reason why you don't just go from stage one of field edges to what I'm assuming stage three is, is kill them in their bed, (laughs) you know, kill them right, you know, be right there. But, um, is there a reason why you kind of move that second stage um, a little less? I mean, you're you're getting more aggressive, but what it, what causes I, you to make that decision? Just what they're showing me. Mm-hmm. So, and it it happens, you know, like it, it happens on private land. It happens on public land. It, those deer are just they're married to cover, right? Like when they when they get pressured, the cover is everything. And so when you get those deer that were comfortable coming out in the open to feed, you know, an hour before dark and they start getting messed with a little bit, you know, they're not going to go like full nocturnal, even on public land. Like they're, they're going to back off and they kind of naturally are doing that anyway, as you know, they go hard antlered and then, you know, it starts to get a little later, but there are opportunities to kill them back there in that stuff. And that's like the staging area thing, you know, it's kind of, you might know where they are. Like winter scouting is a great way to find those areas. But you're also it. Sometimes it's just a matter of like get forty yards off that field edge and start start watching. Like, yeah. What are they showing you back there in the cover? And you see that you see that happen with pressure, but you also see it happen like last year. Uh, I drew Iowa, nice. and I went down there, and you know I just I hunted this public land that I had scouted a little bit turkey hunting, and I I'd taken one walk through there, and I went down there for their October one opener. And, you know, it's pretty thick on October one. And I, I found some concentration of bucks. So I was like, I, I feel like I've got really good stuff to work on, but I only had a weekend and I couldn't come back for two weeks. And when I came back, you know, just two weeks later. And so, but you're going from October one to like October 15 or whatever, it, the, the leaves falling and just those people hunting had just pushed them to, they were just, they were a layer back. You know what I mean? And it yeah. was still like, you still saw so many people set up on field edges and hunting, hunting where they thought they were going to show up. And everything I found when I went back that weekend and I killed my buck was like, they're, they just reacted to that in that two weeks. They were like, you know, it's a little too open. There's a little too many, there's too many guys up there. We're just going to hang back here in this next layer. And I just like, I can see that consistently in a lot of different places. Yeah. Well, and um, gosh, how do I say it's almost like, when I picture, especially public land, obviously it gets more pressure than most privates. Um, it's almost like a game of merry-go-round the way I envision it, envision it, right? The hunters find the deer, they pressure the deer, deer move, you know, and they, they, the deer, 
they're alive for a reason. Sometimes they get old for a reason. They're they're decently smart, and you know it's funny. You'll see at at times. I'm sure you've experienced this where everybody's now two and a half miles back, three miles back, and the deer are 400 yards off the road now because nobody's there hunting them. And so they've they figured out where to go. And you know we we kind of experienced it a little bit on our private ground. You you've probably seen this too right before rifle season rifle hunters start getting their stands ready and they check their stands and they're driving through fields and perfectly fine i'm not judging them it's is what it is and that happens around one piece of private that i hunt quite a bit and i almost feel like that helps me oh i guarantee you it does because they're messing with the deer and if i'm smart i can capitalize on that movement because during during bow season that that stuff's not getting touched nobody's hunting it so the deer almost i wouldn't say feel pressure from us but they they just tend to stay on the other side because it's a it's a better piece of property than ours well i can use that to my advantage they push the good deer over to me i don't bother them and then when it's time i move in or we've moved in and we've been successfully able to to take some good deer from there, and so it's it's almost like that game that you got to figure out how far you know what layer they're in. Like you were saying, are they that next layer back? And then you also have to then think about what the where the hunters are with you because if you know that the deer are kind of that next layer back, but then you go back there and you see five tree stands the first morning you go back there. Do you sometimes make that decision right there on the spot that I'm going to push a little further than I thought I was going to? And then you're on to step seven, apparently. You know, I mean, you know, maybe it's not really three steps. It could be the third step plus two more after that that day. So you might have more like an 18-step plan. Who knows? Well, I I look at it like, you know, I I know that those first two steps might work. And when they don't, there's a reason, right? Like, it, like you said, there might be five stands back there where you think they're going to kind of reset on, or, you know, where they're going to stage in. And so the next one is it, I just pull it right out of the elk hunting. Like, what am I missing? Like, where, like you, you mentioned this, like, where's the spot people aren't going like where, what are, what's going on that, you know, if there's that much pressure here, the deer aren't showing here, they're there somewhere deer homebodies, you know, like right. they don't, they're not getting run out you know, three miles away. Like they're, they're in there somewhere doing something. They're going to be eating. They're going to be drinking. They're going to be doing, making some rubs. They're like they're doing something. Yeah. And so what are you missing? And you know, like when you, when you talk about, you know, kind of like elk hunting where it's like, you see people doing stuff that you think is to your advantage. Like, man, one of the things that I love and I hate about a lot of land, like especially public land, but I've seen this on private too, is two tracks and logging roads and like the easy access, you know, like out out west when you're elk hunting those trailheads and those trails like man <laughs> there there's a lot of people using them right yeah they, they just are you know you kind of know where like the, the pressure is going to originate from and somehow or like somewhere there's going to be a pocket where like even with, like with the elk when they're quiet there's a pocket somewhere and it doesn't have to be seven miles in with you know the the beast mode crowd like it's it could be close to the parking area and you got to find that and whitetails like that's the same thing it's just a smaller scale and i see that like sometimes the hardest part about that is you get it made up in your mind like the hunting's really tough right now they're nocturnal or they're not moving or there's too many people in here 
And so you go, it can't be as simple as that woodlot next to the parking lot. Like it, it can't, it can't be. be that. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so you walk through it and you're like, man, there's a lot of sign in here, but I know I got to go way back to the back in this Creek bottom. And I've had, I've killed a couple of, of good ones on public land in probably the last five or six years where it was just like, just like, I have to force myself. Like, don't ignore this sign right here. Just figure out, like take one night, one morning, whatever, sit there and just let them show you what's going on. Why are they there? And it is nuts, man. Like every once in a while, you'll find a spot like that just because of where everywhere else, where the pressure was funneled to and where it started from and where it ended, that there is just that pocket somewhere that's not hard to get to. And that's where the deer are at that moment. Like it might not have been good two weeks before and it might not be good a week later, but right now, just like with elk, like they're just here. Yeah. And uh, a lot of times I'm assuming maybe that sign that you have seen is a mature buck because he's been through it before he's been pressured his whole life if he's on public land you know most likely and um he knows where to live and where to stay safe and you know sometimes it's the sp- <laughs> i i love when like watching the hunting public those guys what they do is so cool i love when they kill something that is just where nobody would ever go you know like 20 yards off the road or whatever because it's right next to a gun range or something like that where why why would a deer ever live here cuz he doesn't die so he stays right here you know yeah. that's why and it's yeah. just crazy when you see that and it's i mean i get the you know going 7 miles back with elk or you know trying to get deeper than everybody else whitetail hunting that makes sense but basically what you do after your step 1 and 2 are kind of burned out is you know then you start playing the where is my sign and where's the pressure game? And at that point, you're just, you're moving. And I'm assuming you hunt out of a saddle or you take a tree stand in. What do you, what's your normal mode of operation? I hunt out of everything. Ground, I sit on the ground. I, I do it all. And it, it's because when you find that sign, it, this kind of really started with me. I mean, it started when I was younger anyway, just because like I didn't have that many options. But if you hunt Western whitetails, like I love hunting whitetails out West. Like I love those river bottoms out West. You, you find concentrations of deer where there's no good trees and you, you're not carrying a ground blind in there. So you have to be, you have to be open to the fact that you might try to get into a giant cottonwood somehow, or you might have to just set up on the ground in some cover, or maybe you can saddle up in a tree or use a little, little hang on, yeah. but just having those <laughs> options. Like, I mean, that's, that's one of the things, you know, the saddle thing's burning so hot right now. Everybody loves them. They, you know, it's the mobile go-to thing. It's the popular kid. But when you're so in love with something like that, it's kind of like ignoring the sign, right? Like you might walk out there and go, this is right where the deer are, but I can't, I can't climb up anywhere. I can't get above them. So I'm not going to hunt it. And meanwhile, there's a deadfall with a bunch of brush around it that you could just tuck in and kill them. You know, like I, that, you know, that's what's so great about those hunting public guys. Like, like you said, they go to places, they're not supposed to kill big ones. They kill big ones and they're not, they're coming at it two different ways. They come at it with confidence because they're not, they don't have that local bias where it's like, it's too hard to hunt here. Or the rifle hunters shoot them all out. They're just like, we're just going to show up here and try to find them. And they've proven time and time again that they can find deer. They're just going to look until they find them. And then once they find them, those deer are in trouble. Like we, we come into this a lot of times, like we just defeat ourselves with our, our kind of like what's between our ears, you know, like, I know it's going to be too tough today. So I'm just going to go sit the easy stand or like, well, I can't set up here for whatever reason. 
And it's like, man, you're kind of just taking yourself right out of the game without really giving yourself the option to see if you're right or wrong. You had Zach on Wired to Hunt. You guys had Zach Farrenball on um, maybe the other – like it's a, it's a recent episode. I can't remember which one, but um, within the last three. And Zach is a big-time ground hunter. And now I will preface this with saying I'm not – a pro at hanging a, a run and gun set, whether that's a, uh, a lock on and I've never hunted out of a saddle, so I can't talk about it, but it seems like the handful of times that I've run and gunned and I have a run and gun set up and I've, you know, practice it and I'll get, I'll get to where I want. I'll finally find a freaking tree that I think I can get in. I'll get up to where I want to. And then I'm looking, and I'm like, well, crap, I can't see anything, you know, or whatever. And it seems like you, sometimes I do a lot of work, to get up, you know, 14 feet or whatever I can make it to and make noise because no matter how quiet you're going to be, you're still not as quiet as not doing it. And, um, I've last year, the, the five or six times I tried something different, I didn't, I didn't take anything. I, I put my pack on and I walked in and I found where I wanted to get on the ground and I set up. Um, I was never successful, but it was more here's the here's the thing i'm trying to say it was more fun for me than trying to do like a hanging hunt that i've done before almost to the point where i didn't want to do it anymore because i knew i was going to have to hang a set um what about i mean ha, have you there's a lot to that zach even talked about it, i think in your guys show today where he was talking about you know there could be a deer 150 yards away and they're hearing you clang around climbing a tree Whereas if you would have just found a spot down low, they might not have heard you. Um, you know, do you see more people kind of getting into that ground game or, you know, with the saddle coming out, that's made it a little easier to be a little more mobile and not as heavy? Man, well, that, so this is a loaded question. It is. So <laughs> it's possible to go out and do what Zach does. Like I, I've had a few situations where I've spotted bucks, I've crawled in there and I've shot them. Like it's, it happens. It's also a bad idea for most people to get married to a specific kind of strategy like that. He's, he's doing it. Like we asked him about that. He does it cause he loves it mm -hmm. and he's good at it, but he's, he's going to make that happen. That's his thing. He's going to go do that no matter what. Like if you're, if you're not just absolutely in love with that style, having that as an option is good. But having some way to get up above them is good too. Like there's there's so many situations where if if you're really comfortable, and that's I think this is kind of what you're alluding to. Like when you when you go do tons and tons of hanging hunts, like if that's what you do for years and years and years, you, I don't like I don't really dread putting a stand up or taking it down. Like you get really comfortable with it, and you you do have those times. That, I mean, one of the worst thing about hunting public land is you get up there and you're like, I have no shooting lanes. I can't cut this. Like it's against a lot of cut this and that. And so you're like, I'm just screwed. <laughs> like I got no way to shoot. It's uncomfortable. That happens, but you just need to be open. Like I'll, I'll never forget. Ah, man, it was probably uh, four or five years ago. I was hunting South Dakota and I was hunting this walk-in ranch and I carried a stand into this pond. Cause I was like, this, this is going to be it. Got into the pond. It was covered in cattle sucked. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go find something else. Carried a stand down, walked all over, finally found one pasture that hadn't had cattle in it. So it was like, you walked in there and you're like, there's deer in here. And I found a tree on some trails, got up in there. I'm like, I can't shoot anything. 
pulled the whole set down and this is like a four hour marathon right <laughs> right and walked up to the top of the ridge and i'm like you know i got two hours left and i just looked over and i saw this point of woods coming up to this this cornfield and so i stashed my stand and went over there and and set up in the edge of the corn like an idiot you know just like i'm gonna go i can tell they're gonna probably pop out here if they do come out and i had a doe and a buck tag and i filmed i filled them both in like 10 minutes sitting on the ground while my stand was laying in the underneath a pine tree like 100 yards away like <laughs> that's that's what happens when you're out there like you get your get an idea and you're like i'm gonna walk in here this spot's gonna be perfect to saddle up in for whatever reason like you said it doesn't work well can you adapt like is there is there a way to sit on the ground or can you move to plan b like that that kind of stuff comes from experience and the people who are really good at it like they just they have that confidence to go okay this one didn't work no big deal i'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna make the next thing work and the more things you have to try the better off you'll be yeah, I mean, it's like learning from failure or whatnot. You know, you Big went in time. there, you fail, you fail, you fail, and you learn from those experiences, and then you go on to the next thing, and eventually it's going to pan out for yourself. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, hopefully you learned enough to where you can execute a good plan next time. Yeah, no. and you, you you learn. I mean, sometimes, like, you don't get it right. You know, I mean, every one of the things I always get super nervous about about doing podcasts or writing anything is, like, it's such a highlight reel. You know, like it's so easy to just default and talk about all the big bucks you killed. Like it's, it's not that easy to talk about. Like I, I, I remember going to North or not North Dakota, Oklahoma a few years ago and hunting a spot I'd never seen before. And it just on paper looked so good. It was like 4,000 acres of public land. There's usually tons of deer down there and you can get away from the crowds. And I walked around for five hours looking for a spot where I was like, give me any, I have two buck tags and four doe tags. Like, give me anything. Like I'll take I, this is, this does not have to be big buck territory. And I found nothing. It just like, just sweating, pissed off, <laughs> you know, like looking for spiders and, and whatever else down there is going to get you. And it just sometimes does not happen. Like sometimes you can make all these great plans and do all this e-scouting and this boots on the ground scouting and have the best gear. And you get out there and mother nature's like, not today, son. <laughs> like, I, not you, you today. Just, <laughs> no. And it, it just happens, you know, and it, it happens to everybody, you know? Oh yeah. And I think that's why not to keep tooting their horn, but that, I personally consume THP. I pretty much watch every video that they put out. Um, and I'm not a big video consumer. I mean, there's a few I watch and they're one because they show the good, the bad, the ugly. They show it all, you know? And not to say that others that don't show the cool stuff have, you know, but it's just, that's how the average Joe who is, who we're talking to most of the time, that's who we are. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how they experience things, you know? I mean, and it's nice to kind of see that from people who are quote unquote in the industry that are, you know, I mean, like a guy like Zach, once again, just because I was listening to his show with you, I really enjoy watching him hunt. I think he's one of those dudes that I talked about this on our last, this week's show that is out there. Sometimes you meet somebody and, you know, you, you maybe experience things with them or whatever, and you just know that they're a straight, straight up killer. Like they just, it's in their DNA. It clicks. It's just, yeah. they, every decision they make somehow puts them in the right spot. Um, he, to me, he feels like one of those people yeah. where it's just like, how the hell did he think of that? You know, it's just, you know, and, and even he has been on, he talks about an episode where he didn't have his bow ready when he rattled a big buck in and it came to like four yards. 
And even you know, even he has those times where he's like, "Dang it, I messed up. I didn't, I didn't kill him." But he did get the buck within five yards. I mean, that's a pretty damn success, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. You know, not always is it going to be a kill, but um, yeah. so you know, and you kind of talked about learning from those failures, like Micah just talked about or just brought up. You'll use those to your advantage, I'm guessing, throughout throughout that season. Um, at what point do you? Okay, let's say it's September 18th. You haven't really been successful, let's say, in, until October now. When do you really start uh, – gosh, what's the word I want to think of? Gambling? Maybe we'll use that word. Do you, do you ever start Taking gambling? Or, you know, do you really start just thinking – do you ever just sit back and go, okay, where have I screwed up this season? And is there anything I can do from those screw-ups to make it happen now? Um before you start really like start feeling pressured and you know things like that because you know that November date's coming up and you haven't put one down yet. Oh man, it's way before October when I start getting a little <laughs> wild, buddy. I I don't. This is this is a hard thing to explain. So I don't want to go out. I don't ever. I don't like the feeling of going out and settling. Like I, I, whatever stand it is, whether it's on a property I have permission on or whether it's on a public land, I don't like, you know, getting into a tree and being like, uh, this, this is good. Enough. I like confidence, you know I mean? Like, because I'm going to enjoy that. And you know, like, that's the thing when you talk about the, the hunting public, like the secret sauce to the hunting public, is it because they're good hunters or they make good videos? It's because they have fun. Like they're, when you watch them, you know, and they do all that other stuff. Don't get me wrong. But the reason people love them is because they're having fun. Like you're not seeing hissy fits. Like they're giving each other shit. Like they're having fun while they're hunting. Like we're supposed to do that. And like Zach's strategy, he does that because he has fun with it. And so when I, when I'm out there and like, I have this plan, like I don't want to make it sound so militant that I'm not having fun. Like I will go try stupid stuff. And I will, I like, I don't mind at all getting to that stage where I'm like, man, I'm getting my butt kicked. I don't really know what's next. Like, it's time to pull up on X and start looking. Or it's like, I've never gone into this little spot and just set up to watch, or I've never, you know, like maybe they're back in this area or something like that. And it's just sometimes, like you said, instead of throwing a stand on your back, it's nice to just walk out there and be like, I am going to go sit on the ground somewhere and I'm not going to do it until I'm in a spot where I'm like, this makes me curious. Like what, why, why is this here? Even if it's, just a pounded trail or it's just something a little bit different you, you just want to know and like so often it doesn't work out but when you're hunting that way you feel like it's going to yeah. like if you, if you if you have some confidence in it you know like just if you're if you're a rational person you're like i'm probably not going to kill a deer tonight probably not like it most of the time i hunt that doesn't happen right I mean, and, and that's but, hunting isn't it i mean gosh yeah, it is but the difference is it's the same thing like if you if you hunt a place where you know you're gonna see deer or you really believe you're gonna see deer, it's so much more fun, even if you don't see deer for some for whatever reason, than going and hunting like the big woods in northern Wisconsin where you're like, Man, I might put in three weeks here and maybe see a couple deer. It's so different just because you know like seeing deer is fun. <laughs> and like knowing that I'm gonna have fun is kind of fun. Like I, yeah. I enjoy this more when I know that there's probably like the thing that I kind of want to happen is going to happen. And so, you know, hunting setups are like that. Like if you don't have a lot of confidence in them, it's not that much fun. You know, it's not that much fun to climb into a tree and just be like, I'm kind of running out the clock here. Cause I, you know, I don't have any other options. 
but you can't get to the point where you you're pretty confident in your setups unless you go screw up a whole bunch and yeah. and you settle for those things you know like if you go out and you and you sit in those places where you're like uh this doesn't get my spidey senses going then and you blank and it's no fun you're like i don't really want to feel that again <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah it's that like that uh, that anticipation if yeah. you feel like uh, one of the times i went ground hunting last year um that evening i didn't kill anything so i guess by some standards that's a unsuccessful hunt right but that evening it might have been my first attempt at ground hunting too i cannot remember at least that place so anyway i set up to where i'm like oh that was the night i bumped him out of his bed going in remember i told you so i bumped the buck i was after i bumped him out of his bed i i chose the right spot like i was where i wanted to be i just unfortunately walked in right on top of him and even as being as quiet as you can you're not going to fool a a mature buck even when downwind you, once you get that, that close. close i was literally within 10 yards it was it was it was a little soul shattering at first but anyway you, you i didn't just set, you didn't just set up there and shoot him when he came back uh, <laughs> you mean the old bump and dump yeah well i did i moved down about 80 yards and thought he might circle back around he never did that night but maybe not even 80 yards more like 60 but i was excited like i saw him i knew he was there i i moved off thought i might get him circling back around he never showed back up, but I had this little young, had to be like a year old buck. He had little tiny buttons on him, you know, little button buck. Walked down this trail. I see him. I practiced drawing my bow to see if, like, he would catch me. He doesn't. I put it back down. I'm watching him. And he walked, and I could have I kissed that, that deer by the time he ever even, like, moved off. And he never knew I was there the entire time, you know, and... After leaving, I'm like, you know what? That was fun. That whole night was fun. I had anticipation waiting for maybe that buck to come back. Um, And then that happened, and it was just really cool. So while I kind of failed because I not only didn't kill the deer I was after, I also bumped him, um, which whatever. I'm not really too worried about stuff like that. And then I got to see a cool deer. So it's it's like what do you consider a, a successful early season hunt? Is it just killing? And like you said, it's supposed to be fun. A lot of us, I think at least, get into that mode. Like if if we don't kill, and I I got that I get that way. I'm I'm sure we all have where it's like we start pressing, and oh man, we're not going to be successful. We're not going to be able to post a picture on Instagram or whatever. And if you you know reset and just me you know remember what it's supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about having fun. Um, yeah. You know, I think that can probably help you, especially in that early season, especially in public ground like you're talking about, where you just start thinking, all right, where have I failed? And maybe I'll think about doing something different and just go have some fun that night. Yeah. Well, and, you know, you can kind of look at it, too. It doesn't have to be public ground. But, you know, one thing you see people do a lot is just sort of default to those, you know, like the field edge stands we talked about, or like, you know, if you're, if you're hunting private land, you have some stands set up, right. Yep. And they're easy setups, you know, the access, hopefully, you know, like there's, there's a low investment there, but it's, it's like, man, are, are you enjoying it after three weeks of sitting in those stands? Like, you know, you see the same forky seven times, like, is it still fun? Or are you just like, I kind of feel like I'm not putting in and that that's like, this is a hard like message to get across because the the hunting industry has just pushed this message of like, 
we're going to make it easy for you. Like we're going to sell you the call or we're going to tell you how to make the food plot or we're going to, we're going to do something to make this easy. And, and, and some people love that. Right. But a lot of people, and I would assume a lot of people listening to this, like the way to really wring some joy out of this stuff is to work, like to try that new stuff and fail and like level up somehow and have those encounters. You know, like you talk about bumping that buck there, like, man, you do that three times in your life, four times in your life, maybe one of those times he comes back. Like I've, I've seen it. I killed that buck. I killed in, in Iowa last year. I bumped yeah. him out of his bed and I killed him an hour and a half later coming back in there. Like it, it makes so world, much sense. The bump and dump or whatever you want to call it. it right. It, it sounds stupid. Like I remember when people were talking about that a long time ago, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like you can, you can just go and find a big buck in a bed and then jump him and he's going to come back. And I had it happen one time. I was like, 22 23 i was walking back to to hang a stand in this woods and i jumped two deer and i was like man those look like big bucks and at the time they looked like really big bucks to me and i went and set up in the spot i was going to go to anyway because it was super close and those bucks came back through and it was like a 140 and a 120 and at that time to me that was like you know it was like seeing moose in the woods you know and it was like man they didn't go anywhere like they just, they ran down this little valley, they let everything settle down and they came sneaking back in there. And it's like, it's, you know, it's not a guarantee, but you see them do stuff like that when well, you're trying things like you're talking about. Who was, um, I suck at names sometimes, but he, he's hunted with the hunting public. I think his, the name of his company is the hunting beast. Um, oh, Dan Infault. Yeah, yeah, there Dan you go. Infault. And I think he was on THP and they were talking about the, the bump and dump or whatever he termed, termed it as. And he explained it like this, and it made so much sense when I heard it this way. What that buck was doing worked for him when you bumped him and he left because he lived. What he was doing worked. So if you've only done it that one time, why wouldn't that actually build up his confidence in his what he's doing? And okay. so he's like, you know, why wouldn't that he come right back to that? Maybe the next morning it might be that evening. Um, yep. And listening to it that way, I'm like, well, hell. That makes a lot of sense. You know, the the buck won, so why would he not do that again? Now, yeah, you go in there bumping him 40 times. I, I, I like – there's a – there's a what do you call that? A, a threshold. A threshold that you really can't uh, probably pass, but it makes a lot of sense. Well, he, he wouldn't be in a spot where you did that to him 40 times. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? He'd be like, dead before that ever happened. Well, I mean, they're they're betting in those spots for a reason. There's, there's a train advantage. There's a wind advantage. There's something there. Yeah. And – you know, like when you talk about jumping that buck and he doesn't come back, I was, I was thinking about that. Like the buck that I killed in Iowa, where I jumped him and where he ran, he just, he went straight down a funnel and it looked like a, I was headed there anyway. I didn't know he was there. Like I'd never been in there in my life, but, and there were some there I jumped a couple other deer in there, but where they ran down, I was like, well, that's exactly where I expected the deer to come from anyway. And he just went down a place where it was like so natural for him to come right back there. And the way that that Valley was set up, he was never going to get the wind in his favor coming back. Like it was just, it was one of those situations where like, yeah, if you, if you jump them here, they, they might screw up and come back because the, the way the terrain works out and the wind was just smoking and he had to go the wrong way for the wind. Yeah. And so it, it put him at a disadvantage. So he's sitting there going, man, I was doing really good bedded there. So that idiot bumped me out of there. And now I'm in a place where I don't have that advantage. I'm going to just wait a little while. Cause I've, you know, I'm sure he's listened to people and watched people walk through there. 
he goes, I'm just going to sneak back there and I'm going to get that wind in my favor again. And I'm going to get right back to that advantageous spot. Yeah. You know, and that, that situation I had, man, I, I wish you could like go back and talk to the deer, you know, like, where did you go, man? Because <laughs> like when I bumped him, he, he didn't tear out of there. You know, it was a couple bounds and a slow, like, I'm going to go this way. I wish I I knew where he ended up going to and what he ended up doing that evening or the next morning. Because, yep. I, I you know, I thought I, he was going to come back, and he he might have. He might have just circled back the other way, and I, I chose the other direction. But um, it, it it makes sense, especially in an early season setup where – if you've only done it the one time and you're getting to the point where, like you're saying, you've moved on to stage from step one to step two, and now you're on step three, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, um, I can do my ABCs. <laughs> you, you know, at that point, you're just – you might even be doing what Zach does sometimes and just kind of still hunting, and if you bump them, well, guess what? You just found a buck, and um, I'm sure you probably have uh, attempted that many a times, and that's got to be – when we're talking about the fun part, that anticipation for the rest of that day has got to be just sky high. Yeah. Well, it is. And it, it's just, you know, still hunting is sort of a lost art, but man, it is freaking fun. But so it, it's just like, how, how can you learn as much as possible? You know? And like, I think, I think that the secret to his strategy partially is he's like very open to the fact that he doesn't know what's going on in these places. So he's, you know, they're good e-scouters and all that stuff, but he's like, I'm just going to get in there. I'm going to figure out what's going on. And we have a problem when we know ground where we hunt on memories and we go, well, the deer do this and they do this. And when you don't switch, you like, you're either going to confirm that or you're going to just excuse it away somehow. So you're going to go there. And if the deer do what you think they're going to do, you're like, yeah, I'm told you I knew that was yeah. going to happen every time called it, called it. <laughs> or if it doesn't, it's like, Oh man, somebody must be hunting the neighbor's farm or the pressure's not right. Or the wind or something like that. And it's like, the more you go out and hunt, just kind of randomly do the hanging hunts and you, you're sneaking around, you're looking for sign and you're just kind of in the moment type of hunting. The more you learn, there's a lot of stuff going on out there that you don't know. And it, it happens. You're forced to do that in some situations it also, if you make yourself do it on private land, you think you know really well, then you, you start to learn some stuff. And it's like I said before, they're just oftentimes they're only like a hundred yards away. Like you, yeah. you think you're you're on it, especially in the early season when you can't see very well, or you know it's just thicker stuff. You're like, I gotta be right on it. And those deer are like just up the ridge or just down in the bottom or something, and they don't have to be that far away. And it's a totally different ball game. Yeah. Yeah, I I completely agree. I mean, it's you you are only you could be within a hundred yards of two shooters one evening and never have known it, and yep. I'm sure we all have. I mean, oh yeah, you know, uh, this is my first year running a uh, cell cam system, and I'm excited about it. It's you know kind of cool. Uh, I've been enjoying getting some photos here and there. But I, I'm also really worried that I'm going to leave one night and get a photo of the big one I was after or something, like, at during shooting light, 80 yards away from where Somewhere I was. Somewhere else where you weren't. <laughs> You're just going to be like, I'm an idiot. Damn it. But, you know, it's – that's just how hunting is. I mean, it's just uh, – Can't be everywhere. Right. And, honestly, I think the thing that's made me um, change what I'm doing a little bit is my son's. 
I have been so focused on trying to get stuff set up so that they can hunt with me more comfortably than they have before, um, that I've, I've done a lot of work this summer. Actually, Micah and I both had to take a day off work and he, he spent his time, took a day off work so that he could come help me hang three ladder stands. So my sons can actually get up in a tree with me and not be scared to climb and, and that sort of stuff. And, uh, obviously they'll be harnessed off and all those things, but, uh, and it's made me actually go, okay, I'm going to put something back here. Now, where do I want it? Cause if I'm going to do this work, I want to kill stuff out of it, not just so they can be with me. Yep. And, uh, I've used some of those experiences bucking, bumping that buck. I, I told you about, uh, three or four or two or three years ago, I bumped another buck in the middle of uh, February when I was just shed hunting who was back there too. And so I used some of those experiences that I might go, Hey, based on those things and maybe some other stuff, I think I can get them here with this sort of wind. And so I'm gonna put a stand for my son here and we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Making like almost being out of your comfort zone for a moment, whether it's early season, like we're talking about, or whether it's uh, your kids need to go hunting with you now, or it's you lose permission somewhere. So now you're hunting public all these different things I don't think are necessarily bad things, you know, all of a sudden being uncomfortable. Um, so being uncomfortable during early season or really the season up until rifle is really what we're talking about. So, um, it's not necessarily early season, but being uncomfortable might be the situation where you actually do some of your best work. Um, I mean, is that, have you experienced some of your best work when you're kind of out of your comfort zone all of a sudden? Big time. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I just, this hit me like a brick to the face, man. Not that many years ago where I was like, why is it easier for me to kill a big buck on public land in a place I've never been, never seen than at home on a property, like a, a private farm. I've had permission to hunt since I was 15 years old. What's the difference? And it was because I wasn't hunting off of memories and living off my trail cameras and kind of phoning it in going, I know these spots, eventually they're going to come by here. And like, eventually a lot of times they don't come by. And I really, really think like easy doesn't make you good. Like I know easy can be successful and it can be fun in the, you know, in hunting, but if you want to get good at it, you got to hunt challenging stuff. You know, like if you, if you take somebody who's spent five years hunting over the counter elk in Colorado, never killed one, but Raise you know, put in, you know, <laughs> in 45, 50 days, whatever, however many days you've got out there. And then you take somebody with the equivalent amount of seasons hunting, you know, the Deseret down in Utah on $18,000 elk tags or some, some private ranch where you've got alfalfa fields and the elk pour in there. Yeah. You might have somebody who's killed three, 350 inch bulls or five, 350 inch bulls in that time. They're not necessarily a better hunter. They might be more successful, right. but they had easy hunting. There's a big difference, man. And, and, and a lot of people want that, and that's okay. But if you really want to get good at this stuff, like the, the challenge is where it's at. Like you, you don't level up when you have easy, easy, easy. You, know? like you level up when you get your ass kicked. Yeah, and it's, it's, all a, it's a personal thing anyway. Comparing yep. yourself to another hunter is one of the dumbest things you could probably do. Because unless that hunter has the exact same experiences and opportunities that you have had, why would you compare yourself? I mean, and also, I don't care. I mean, it's awesome. Like, my, you know, if, if somebody else I know has killed three 350-inch bulls and five 220-inch deer and whatever, 
that's awesome. I'm, I wish I could do that and hopefully I will someday, but it doesn't mean that all of a sudden that person's quote unquote better than you. It's just, it's different. You know, yeah. as long as you're having fun hunting and you're happy with what's going on, um, you know, I mean, we've said this before in our show, haven't we, dude? A ton. You know, as long as you're happy and, you know, do we want to kill two-and-a-half-year-old bucks? No, not necessarily. Do we but care if, if you do? Do we care no. if you do? No, not really. It's your That's tag. your tag. It's you paid for it. Don't break the law. I'm good with it. Um, no. You know, your experiences are yours, and however you want to handle them is up to you. So... I, I agree. I mean, there could be some hunter out there that's only killed three deer that are 120 inches or, or bigger who is twice the hunter as a dude that's killed four 210-inch deer. But what's that matter anyways? They're just different people none, with different experiences. None of it matters. And yeah. it, I mean, it, this is one thing you notice. I, this this happened to me as soon as I got in the hunting industry. It's it's like people will they want to like they want you to know how hard their hunting is and how easy you have it no matter what without without any information <laughs> and i'm just like you know it, I, i've noticed this lately with florida hunters who they want to tell you how hard it is down there and i, I hunted florida like it's hard <laughs> believe me the mosquitoes suck the heat sucks the the land sucks it's flat it's swampy there's alligators i get it but like that's just that's what the, you get yeah you that's know? florida <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, that's a tough situation. So is, you know, the big woods in the UP on December 27th. Like it's a different kind of horribly hard hunting, you know, so is hunting down on Union Ridge outside of Kirksville on rifle opener when there's 5 billion guys in there. Like hard. You're talking about Kirksville. Is there a Kirksville, Minnesota? No, you're talking about Kirk's Missouri. Okay. I was going to say, (laughs) yeah, because are you talking about our state right now? Yeah. So that's a thing. Okay. Yeah it's the same thing. Like it difficult is difficult and it doesn't matter. Like it just, it, it, like you said, this is such a personal thing. Like it really doesn't matter. Like do this for yourself. Like be happy. Like if you're, if you're really pissed off about how somebody else hunts or like what somebody else is killing, like, man, it's probably not a great way to be like, it doesn't matter. You know? Yeah. Now if that person's breaking the law and doing things unethically, yeah, be pissed off at them. But yeah, I mean, sure. they're doing things normally. I, I just don't get it. But and and just like this show that we did with you tonight, take what Tony talked about and, you know, we, we talk back and forth about what he does and use it to maybe your advantage with what you do. Um, and it might help out. I mean, you know, that's that's the whole reason why podcasts really exist is because, well, we like bullshitting, so we're recording it. That's the biggest thing, really. Mm-hmm. And then number two, I love learning more. And if I can take maybe what I learned from you tonight into my own situation and help myself, well, hell, that, that just helped two of us become better hunters, didn't it? So, um, you know, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, there was a, a you know, we went all kinds of different directions, and that's just pretty much what we do. Yeah, that, we're, that, we're good at that. We're good at going down some rabbit holes. But yeah, And we never talked about my Missouri connection either. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Your first out-of-state hunt was in Missouri, correct? It was. Uh, not coincidentally at uh, Union Ridge outside of Kirksville. <laughs> <laughs> now, what it was uh, It was turkey, is that correct? Yeah. It was, uh, man, it must have been 19. I don't think I could drive yet. I think it was 1995. I think my buddy had his license. And 
outdoor life or field and stream had had written an article about destinations for turkey hunting and they're like man this place is covered in birds <laughs> you got to go down there and of course me and every other freaking idiot went down there and it actually was covered in birds it was pretty fun back there in the you know i i went i went down there several times and i've, I've hunted other places since in missouri yeah. but i tell you honestly i i, I have you guys ever hunted nebraska just, nope. Uh, we no, just we'll, talked about that last week. Yeah. We'd like to go up there. So when I when I go, I grew up in a little tiny dairy farming community in southeastern Minnesota, and so I li- even though I live in the suburbs of the Twin Cities now, like I'm a small town country boy at heart. Like that's that's those are my people. When I go to like random towns in northern Missouri, or I go to Nebraska, I'm like these are my people. Like you drive by them on a gravel road and they wave, and everybody talks to you in camp. And you go, you know, you go to the cafe in some random little town and, you, you know, you kind of always end up at the same places year to year. A lot of times it happens. You're like, I'm seeing the same people. Like I'm talking to the same waitress and I'm just like, oh, these are like, I, I love Missouri. I love Nebraska. Those are, those are my people, man. Yeah. So were you successful the first time you came down here with the 4 billion other hunters? Do you remember? Um, I can't remember if I killed one the first time. I, I think I blanked the first time I went down. And then after that, I killed birds nice. every time nice. I went down there. Um, we always, you know, I, I don't know if your season structure is still the same. I haven't turkey hunted in Missouri for a few years, but is it shoot one the first week and then you can shoot one a day or something? And we're, you're talking be... about the spring right now, I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, yep. I don't remember. Um, it is two birds, I currently think but we're also having an issue down here i'm assuming it's the same where you are where our population is suffering yeah Yeah. uh i I think was it two last year i think it was i think it was and then you have to wait a week or till the next weekend and then you can go again Um, i'm almost positive actually yeah so i think it changed but it used to be i think the first two weeks you could shoot one and then there was that like there's three weeks of the season or whatever and then the last week once that weekend hit, you could shoot one this day and then one the next day or something like that. So we used to always time it for that weekend. And, you know, it was, that was a, it was such a good eye opener for me because it was public land. It had a lot of the animals we were after, but it had a lot of people. So it was like, you know, you're showing up, you're camping and like, you think you're going to go in there and it was, you had your chances, but it was like, you're, you're really dealing with a crowd. And it was like, just such a formative moment for me where I'm like, okay, like this is, this is a possibility to drive out of state, you know, and it, back then like a, a tag was so cheap and it, you know, we were camping. So it was like a, it was a cheap trip. Like yeah. we were, you know, like we didn't have any money, you know, it wasn't like we were paying for outfitted hunts, but it was like such an eye opener that it's like, Holy balls. I can just walk into the Walmart down here and they're going to sell me a tag and I can just hunt turkeys in this new state. It was, it changed, it literally changed my life the first time I hunted down there. Yeah. Well, and we've talked about, going up to Nebraska hunting birds or even whitetail, um, you know, doing something different. But honestly, at least where I'm at right now, until I kill an elk, I'm not doing shit else. <laughs> I, I only get about 15 days a year to, to leave my home. My wife is nice enough to let me leave and spend money elsewhere. And it is elk until it's an elk. And then maybe I'll do something else. But it, it's, you know, it's one of them deals like I've got to get an elk down get, now. Got to cross that off the and, list. And uh, so, you know – I'm in. I'm doing something that's very unlikely already. I think the odds for an OTC elk unit archery is like less than 10% at this point. But, you know, if I do it for 10 straight years, that makes it 100% the 10th year, doesn't it? Am I, is that correct math? 
I don't I, think I, so, I actually, but <laughs> I actually think the odds are way lower than that. It might. Think, it, it's pretty bad. I know that. I think the archery elk success in Colorado is ten percent, and that's lumping everybody in. Oh God, I, I I, I could be wrong on that, but I think that the the OTC general unit stuff is probably like one percent. Hey, you're saying one percent of the time <laughs> it, it works, works every, every time. time. Yeah. <laughs> but I I would say the only as a as a guy who's been married a while and has some kids and stuff and has, has done the elk thing, I would say, I would look at that like, yes, definitely go, go get your elk, but also consider that Nebraska is not that far away. It's, it's true. It could be a weekend thing is what you're saying. It, yeah. It could be a long weekend thing. And I, I really think, uh, there's so much value to just going to new places like that. And Nebraska is freaking fun anyway, man. It, it's, the secret's out on it a little bit now, you know, I mean, it, it's, it used to be like the public land in Nebraska used to be incredible. Like it was, it was fun. Now there's way more people, but it's still really good. And you can go hunt over the counter mule deer in Nebraska, you right. know, like you can hunt over the counter antelope in Nebraska. You can, you can buy three turkey tags in the spring. Like there's a lot of, they, they, they do some things right down there. So I would just say just, you know, just keep it in the back of your mind a little. I've bit. been I've been hinting at the idea. Why don't we not hunt an elk one year and try something different? I but just, nobody's bitten uh, so far. And I, and I'm good with maybe a weekend thing. I'm good with that. It's just, and and I think the other reason is I am having so much fun elk hunting. I mean, yeah, it's a lot of work. Yes, and sometimes you're like, what in the hell are we doing? We haven't seen an elk in five days. But it's just, it's a totally different experience. I would never compare elk hunting and whitetail hunting. People have asked us that, and I'm just like, they're not even close to the same thing. They have their challenges in their own rights, and I I love it. So we're gonna I'm gonna keep doing it as long as I'm allowed. And but yeah, maybe we'll do like a weekend thing up in Nebraska. Well, who knows? Here, it's not far. So let me give you a little more unsolicited advice. Don't go turkey hunt Nebraska unless you want to whitetail hunt it, <laughs> because when you get out there, you're gonna be like, we're coming back here. So. <laughs> Like this, it's like don't go look at puppies unless you want to buy one. Uh, like, I get it. Okay. You don't just casually look at a litter of lab puppies, like when you might be kicking it around because you're coming home with a freaking dog. Like, oh, don't yeah. go to Nebraska <laughs> and turkey hunt, run and gun those hills or whatever you're gonna do unless you're fully prepared to come back next November and and hunt some whitetails. Just Deal. just so you know. I'll Got take it. the advice. Yep. Okay. Sure. Well, before we hop off here, um, why don't we real quick before um we do that. Tell everybody how they can, um, you know, catch Wired to Hunt. I'm assuming most people know what that is, but tell them how they can catch Wired to Hunt. Anything else that you do that's pretty cool you want to um, plug. If you want to give out your social media, I'm sure you can. It's up to you. And uh, we'll just kind of go from there. Yeah, you know, Wired to Hunt, you know, go to themeateater.com slash Wired, and that's where all of our articles are. Um, you'll find, you know, links to all the podcasts. Podcasts are up everywhere too. You know, so I've I've been doing some of the guest hosting and the co-hosting with Mark for Wired to Hunt. Then I have the Foundations podcast that comes out every Tuesday for them, uh, which is a totally different thing. That's a giant pain in the ass scripted podcast. That- Dude, I'm <laughs> telling you, that's ballsy because that is just you. Oh, and I know it's you know they're only like you know 15 to 25 minutes or whatever, but at least I got something to bounce, you know, stuff off of on these. I, I would, I'd be nervous on that. You do a good job with it. Well, thanks, man. It's uh, it maybe doesn't sound like a big project, but man, it's like writing a book every quarter. It is, it, it, there's a lot there, but it's, it, it, I, I'm really enjoying that because we're getting a lot of feedback on it. And the whole idea was, 
like how do we just cover you know 52 weeks of like everything like how do we just get like these like how do you understand a staging area like how do you hunt a water hole like how do we get these basics out there so people have this referential source and at first i was kind of like man i don't know if i can do like this is a lot of information to try to get out there and we're already looking at year two like now that we're kind of into it like man there's so much to cover that that people are still thirsty for the information and it you know that was kind of born from like are we talking over people? Like we, you know, you know how it is. I'm sure you guys are seeing this. You'll do something on, you know, some kind of, you know, hunting strategy or something. And then you'll hear from people who are like, I don't really know what a rub is, <laughs> you know? And like, it's kind of funny, but at the same time, we were like, we should pay attention to this. Right. Like we, sh- we should, we should take note of this because we're getting questions like this a lot and we need to talk to those people too. And so it was kind of a weird project that way. But anyway, people can check that out there too. Um, but all the whitetail stuff's at meat eater right now that I'm creating. So, yeah. and if, if people like, uh, bird dogs, any of that kind of stuff, anybody listen to this, I do have a podcast called sporting dog talk. Cause my other passion is training bird dogs and hunting with bird dogs. So I got that other, that other side of things. There's another too. side of you. Nice. Yeah. 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 Well, and I'll tell you what, um, I don't want to give him too big of a head, but you got to relay this to, to Mark for us. So what? when I first started hunting, I sucked and I still do, but I really sucked. And I was trying to learn more and I would talk to people and I started listening to podcasts. I don't know how I came across it, but the very first podcast hunting wise that I ever listening, listened to was wired to hunt when Mark and Dan Johnson was his co-host. And, uh, and then I started listening to nine finger chronicles and then it became a problem. But, um, you'll have to tell Mark that he was the first hunting podcast I ever listened to. And I, I learned a lot from him. So, and then give him a hard time for me also. I don't know what, but just, you can do that. Uh, I I give him a hard time a lot, (laughs) a lot, but yeah, I'll let him know. No, he does. He's, he's done an amazing job with that brand. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. Well, man, we really appreciate your time coming on with us and, and talking about some early season tactics and pretty much anything else that we discussed tonight. Um, We really appreciate you. Awesome. Thanks guys. All right. Thanks buddy. Thank you. All right. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. <laughs> that was a good show. Uh, Tony has got a lot of knowledge. You can tell he uh, yeah he's, he's been, been in doing the, it a minute. Yeah, been de- been in the industry and been hunting for a really long time. So he's got a lot of tips and tricks for you. Um, hopefully, you guys gathered something from the babbling and the <laughs> rabbit holes. And that was mostly Micah's fault. Yeah, because I did so much. <laughs> but no, uh, he knows what he's talking about, and uh, if you listen and maybe what's the word implement his some implemented of, implement some of his stuff man you're using big ass words i know today, right son so you know maybe you guys can make something happen early so yeah yeah and check out wired to hunt obviously if you haven't heard them before check them out um large podcast that does a lot mm-hmm. and um it was one of my first podcasts i started listening to what i said at the end of the show with tony was not a lie that was the right. first hunting podcast i ever started listening the, to i have yeah. no idea how i found it it's just it was there and i'm I gonna listened. say it was me to be honest because i'm pretty sure i get started listening to him when i think he was on episode like 20 there you go okay i'll like I'll well, when he started you. so and then i went back and i started from the beginning so all right lots of good stuff cool well hope everybody enjoyed that one today we're gonna hop off See you. See you.